Today our call to worship will be from Psalm 63 in your pew Bible on 532 to 533. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thy, my soul thirsteth for thee. My first, thy flesh longeth to, for thy dry and thirsteth where no water is. To see thy power and that my glory, so, so as I see thy in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. <clears throat> and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Well, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast helped me, therefore in the shadow of thy wings I will rejoice. My soul falleth hard for thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. But, thou hast see- but those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lowest part of the earth. Thou shalt fall by the sword, thou shalt be portions for foxes. But the king that shall rejoice in God, everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Good morning. Um, today's gospel reading will be found in Mark 11, verses 1 through 10. And in the Pew Bible, that's on page 934. When Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem by the way of Bethany and Bethpage, he stopped at the Mount of Olives overlooking the city and turning to two of his disciples said, Go into the village just ahead of you, and as soon as you go in, you'll find a young donkey, which has never been ridden, tied to a post. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you're doing, tell him that the Lord needs to borrow the donkey for a little while and he'll bring it back. The two disciples did as they were told. When they got to the village, they found a donkey tied to a post in front of a house near the entrance of two, uh, in the entrance of the town, just as Jesus had said. So they started to untie it. <clears throat> Some of the townspeople standing nearby called out, What are you men doing with that donkey? The two, the two disciples said just as Jesus told them to say, and the people let them go. <clears throat> they took the young donkey and led it up the hill to the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus was. When the disciples realized what Jesus riding the donkey signified, they took off their robes and laid them on the donkeys on, on the young animal. Then Jesus mounted the donkey as crown prince used to do just before the coronation and told the disciples to lead him into Jerusalem. When the people saw this, They felt sure that Jesus would proclaim himself king of Israel. Excitedly, some of them took off their robes and spread them on the road, while others ran ahead and broke palm branches and did the same thing with them. Still others ran ahead, shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed on him who comes in the name of the Lord. Then the people behind Jesus shouted, Hosanna, in response. Together they shouted, This is the new king of our father's David, blessings on him who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna to the new king. 
Our New Testament reading comes today from Revelation 19:11 through 16. In our Pew Bible, it's page 1150 and 1151. I'm reading from the King James Version. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he does judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he, and he treaded the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thighs a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Amen. Really good to uh, fellowship and sing and all those things that make worship so rich and uh, our season as well. Well, my heart is full. I have so many things to share and uh, as always, our time is limited and so we'll try to pick and choose. But I do want to thank our musicians today. Great job, you guys. And uh, I don't know if you saw him during the hymn and some other things, but Grandpa George was on the trumpet too. George Lyman and Cynthia are here today. I would have missed you all a lot more last week, but I was enjoying their church and their fellowship and their hospitality. So thank you both. That was a wonderful experience for Jill and I last week on vacation. It is good to be back. Good to see all of you. Well, I got a Bible study this morning. Every now and then, um, well, first of all, I, I need to make it very clear As much as I love the Word of God, I certainly don't know everything about it or everything in it. And uh, that's just because I'm on the same journey all of you are on. And hopefully we get to engage the Word together and engage it apart. But this morning I came to church, and usually uh, I get an idea through the week of what I'm going to do as long as I can pull my texts and my theme and my sermon title together and a few illustrations I have a road map. I kind of know what I want to do, and, and it happened that way for me this week. I, I had a road map. Now, every now and then, I get to church, and I get an inspiration, and I think, I've got to change this, or I've got to play off of this, or roll off of this. Um, but this morning, instead of getting an inspiration, I got a Bible study. Somebody else got an inspiration. And that's really cool, because things came to me in that Bible study that I wouldn't have thought of myself. And I can't present them to you as mine this morning, but I do want to present them because I think it's really cool what happened this morning. So Eric, I'd like to invite you up 
And I want you to stand with me back here, and we're going to talk for just a minute about the inspiration that came to you, because this song, Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho, doesn't really seem at the surface of things to have any connection with Palm Sunday. And I know we're not observant of Palm Sunday per se, and I know this is Sabbath, not Sunday, and all of those sorts of things, but for the Christian world, we're entering a particularly special week. And what's particularly interesting about it is uh, the fickleness with which humanity has approached this entire thing. So if you look at my letter, come on over here, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll talk to you in just a minute. Uh, if you look at my letter today, uh, there's a quote from Calvin Miller, taken from the singer, and it's particularly apt. Humanity is fickle. They may dress for a morning coronation and never feel the need to change clothes to attend an execution in the afternoon. So triumphal Sundays and Good Fridays always fit comfortably into the same April week. Wow. The humanity that celebrates the king one day cries for his crucifixion the next. And that is our story. It isn't the story we choose, it's the story we're born into. It's the story we end up living if we don't make other choices. So I had headed there with that theme, and Joshua Fit the Battle of Jericho is just a great song, a great spiritual, and I would have enjoyed it on any week theme. And so my mind made no attempt whatsoever to connect that to Palm Sunday and what we're doing. But my friend Eric woke up this morning and had an inspiration because he was concerned with connecting them. So, Eric, just tell us a bit about waking up this morning. What happened? How did this happen for you? What, were you, what was going through your mind? First of all, was to get something to eat. Second of all, was what, does, what might this particular spiritual have um, to say about this season that we're in, and, and particularly in our calendar today, uh, this Palm Sunday weekend? Now, you thought of an obscure text that I, I don't think I remembered was even there. In fact, you thought of several. Why don't you uh, share the first one with us, the, the Chronicles? I'll look it up while you're sharing. Okay. I, I shouldn't be the subject of the sentence. I, I, is in my question of that, I, have, I feel that this, whatever uh, goodness comes from this is directly from the Holy Spirit because what the essential thing was... Okay, get ready, sit down. And I was led to remember something about Jericho being the, uh, having a number of palm trees. And so in Second Chronicles 28, 15, I don't know what page that is on the Pew Bible. but if No, you, it's not 28, 15, at least unless I'm looking at it right. You're gonna, we're going to find that it calls Jericho, uh, there we the, go. at the last 16. part of 16, the the city of palms and I can tell you having um, 15b they provided them with clothes and sandals food and drink and healing balm all those who were weak they put on donkeys these are about prisoners that were taken captive and hauled uh, into Jerusalem so they took them back to their fellow actually Samaria they took them back to their fellow Israelites at Jericho city of palms and returned to Samaria that was the text it was the context was war prisoners had been taken they were gathered in Samaria they had been stripped naked they had been their their possessions had been plundered 
And they were told when they came back to Samaria, uh, Samaria that this was not the will of the Lord. So they reclothed these men, put them on donkeys if they were injured, gave them balm, and sent them back to Jericho. But this little comment here says, Jericho, the city of palms. Right. And you had remembered that somehow in Scripture, which is an amazing uh, feat. So from there, the, uh was led to one of several... Um, Citations in the beginning in the construction of the temple, both the sanctuary and the wilderness, both uh, Solomon's temple, given specific directions by God as to how the palm should fit into that architecture. And one of those verses, um, it can be found in Ezekiel 40, that um, is verse 16, chapter 40, verse 16, that just speaks to what the visual symbols of God's love and care would be. The alcoves and the projecting walls inside the gateway were surrounded by narrow parapet openings all around, as was the portico, the openings all faced inward. The faces of the projecting walls were decorated with palm trees. So, it's having been to the site, which is now Jericho, and some of you have had that experience too. I was lucky enough um, because of Greg's and uh, leadership along with Pastor Tim to be on that trip to the Holy Land. I was eager to see what might be there. And what did and, you find? Nothing but sand <laughs> and one very eager glass shop merchant. I have the glass right here. If you want one of these, go with me to Israel next time. I'm sorry, I was just being funny. There really isn't anything there. It's a pile of dirt, and you can find clay shards in it if you can get to it. But a bus takes you through the desert, and literally, how far away is Samaria? It's a long way away. That was a long bus ride. It it might have been four, but it felt like six hours. In Jericho, posh area or not? Uh, I would just look at, no, I wouldn't spend your time. It's serious. I would, I would look at it through uh, internet, maybe, but no, it is not posh at all. What about ancient times? Uh, what would have been there that would have been meaningful for people? Ah, in ancient times, it was a natural uh, trade route centerpiece because being in that desert area, anyone traveling in a desert, as you can imagine, the same way as we're excited by a, um, a Taco Bell or an in-and-out sign on a long journey, to see palm trees meant that you knew you had food, you knew you had water, because the palms themselves would furnish dates and would not grow unless they could access that water table. So you knew that your provisions were taken care of. So this Jericho symbol of, uh, I mean, Jericho, city of palms, is a symbol of sorts of a kind of salvation on the desert route. You have the salvation that comes physically in that you have water, uh, you have food, and you have the shelter of the walls. Um, What? Let's take it from there. You know the story. The walls come tumbling down because Joshua attacks the city. Rahab is instrumental in this, right? Do you remember Rahab? She puts out a a red cloth and they don't uh, attack her particular dwelling and God spares her and her family as long as they're there and so forth. 
Well, she becomes the ancestor of Christ through the lineage of, of David. Of course. And so David goes to build Jerusalem, a different kind of city, but it's also a walled city. Now, the Jerusalem that we visit in the Holy Land is a symbol of something that we're looking forward to. What do you think that is? I hear it. What is it? Heaven, the new Jerusalem. When the new Jerusalem comes down from heaven to earth, this is Eric too, by the way. When the new Jerusalem comes down to heaven to earth, are the gates open or closed? They're closed. Why are they closed? Because the wicked who are resurrected will attack the city, right? But after that, do they remain closed ever again? They're open forevermore. So Jerusalem becomes a symbol of salvation as well, doesn't it? And the new Jerusalem, our ultimate salvation. Some of these uh, things are very interesting because uh, of the, this kind of, I don't know, I call it a spider connection. You go down one alley and it just kind of branches, and you go down another and it just kind of branches. Whether you're talking about cities or palms. Let's tie Isaiah in. What, what made you think of Isaiah, Eric? Um, just, of course, the walls came tumbling down. It was just very well presented. Um, thought, okay, about... Why is that? It seemed to me that those walls had a purpose of exclusion. Whereas Isaiah, in chapter 60, verse 18, is going to give those walls a new name. And while Jerusalem had some of that same connotation of wanting to keep trouble out, they were also called to have a a new mission and a new purpose. I'm going to read uh, 15 through 18. Although you have been forsaken and hated, no one traveling through, with no one traveling through, I will make you the everlasting pride and the joy of all generations. You will drink the milk of nations and be nursed at royal breasts. Then you will know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will bring you gold and silver in place of iron. Instead of wood, I will bring you bronze and iron in place of stones. I will make peace your governor, and well-being, your ruler. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders, but you will call your walls salvation. It's capitalized. And your gates, praise. It's capitalized. That's the new Jerusalem. Yeah, marvelous. So then it didn't stop with that inspiration. It went somewhere else too. Well, so... uh, Thinking that the walls, in fact, that the city is, as we know, intended by God to be a light to the Gentiles and bring all nations to that um, boundless love, we're given the picture. We often read this in the season of Advent in Zechariah chapter 9, 9 and 10, that does, in fact, of course, uh, specifically predict the very event which we were going to. Um, highlight and remember this weekend it's tempting to have bunny stand and sing it but i won't put her on the spot that way rejoice greatly daughter of zion shout daughter of jerusalem see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey on a colt the full of a donkey so i immediately after this as i'm sure it would to you um it came in that wonderful verse from Zephaniah that speaks about how God feels um, about each one of us and why God would 
the king and sovereign of the universe would deign to be presented in such a humble manner as riding on a donkey. Verse 10 actually says he, he will proclaim peace to the nations, which ties to what we said earlier. He will rule, his rule will extend from sea to sea, from river to river in the ends of the earth. And it says uh, the battle bow will be broken. He will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. In other words, it speaks to the peace that the king brings that was, uh, we, we read earlier. And then in the Zephaniah passage just referenced, 17 says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. His love, in his love he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I want to hear that song as God rejoices over us. The salvation theme comes together. This theme of God's kingship. And then, of course, now back to regular programming. Zephaniah ties to something else. What is it, Eric? Well, Psalm 63, which was just beautifully read also this morning. It gave us a picture of God's joy. And with that, I'm going to say thank Thank you. you. And uh, speak to the the rest of what um, we have to share. I appreciate that so much. I put Eric on the spot this morning. He just came to me quietly and said, if this serves, here are some thoughts. And it was a little, I said, you really trust me to remember all that? (laughs) So we uh, we took some notes and I just said, I'm going to call you up and and we're going to share that with everybody. I love it when God's spirit moves in our congregation in whatever form that takes. Psalm 63, you God are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there's no water, like the land around Jericho. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory and seen the decorations of the palms in Ezekiel's temple. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you while I praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. And one day, God's song of joy over us will ring. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Blessed you are my help, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Those who seek my life will be destroyed. They go down in the depths of the earth. They will be given over to the sword and be food for jackals. And doesn't that evoke our text in Revelation? But the king will rejoice in God. All who swear by God will glory in him while the mouths of liars will be silenced. But the king will rejoice in God. Well, it's a wonderful passage, and I appreciate the reading earlier. It doesn't hurt to go through things twice. Psalm 63 speaks of this longing for God, this joy in God, this praise of God, and the way in which the king rejoices in God. And then we see the connections that I drew just now to Revelation. In Revelation, we have a depiction of a different kind of king. I want to go to Revelation next. Revelation 19. 
this king is a victorious king. This portrayal is not a humble one. If you read what leads up to this passage, there's a roar of the great multitude in heaven shouting, Alleluia! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who has corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Alleluia! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne and they cried, Amen, Alleluia. And then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you servants, all his servants who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of a flood of rushing waters, like loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell down to his feet to worship him, but he said, Don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to Jesus' testimony. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I saw in heaven, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful, capital F, and True, capital T. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. Why? Because he is king of all kings and lord of all lords. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. Wrapped in strength and power and mystery. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. But you will notice that his followers are in white. For we have dipped our robes in the blood of the Lamb and found them white. And he has paid the debt. And his name is Word, capital W, of God. Remember John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword. Any of you seen the Smithsonian specials on ancient sword making? Y'all need to watch more TV. Really interesting stuff about how fearsome the weaponry in the time of this writing really was. How deadly. We have this image, not of a single-edged sword, curved blade, but a straight-blade sword, double-edged and sharp, coming out of his mouth. It's the sword of God's judgment. But let's read. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Does that remind you of a song? Mine eyes have seen the glory of... Yes. On his robe... 
And on his thigh he has his name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud verse to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together the great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. The victory will be total. It's an apocalyptic image. It's not imagery we're comfortable with. It's death and destruction and gore. And it is our loving God and reconciling the two takes a bit of theological work for us. For you were used to Jesus with a staff and with a hoodie holding a lamb. We're not used to Jesus with a name on his thigh and on his robe, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We're not used to Jesus with many crowns and an iron scepter and a sword that divides and conquers and judges. We're not used to the word of God dividing like a sword. We're not used to the word of God speaking word of judgment and delivering his people through an act of destruction, an apocalyptic image, a battle scene of birds eating the dead flesh of people who have fallen, of kings and slaves alike. For he's tread out this winepress. But the imagery we read today, and I'm going to get back to the uh, Markin story in just a minute, is a total package. I started this imagery with connections and talking about Jericho, the palm. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, the song, the city of palms, the desert, the salvation that's inherent there, the connections, all of these beautiful things that lead us to psalm and the king who rejoices. And we come around to the connection to this time of year, which we're going to get to shortly in the Markin story. But we have several kings I want you to be mindful of because they're a package deal. There's the king that rejoices over you. There is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, and we'll read about that in a minute. There's the king of judgment, and there's the king of all creation. In every scene in scripture, Jesus stands as Lord. When we take one, we take them all. And so let's read the Mark and passage and see how this might affect us. Turn to Mark. Mark 11. This is a classic Palm Sunday reading, or in our case, Sabbath reading. The story of the triumphal entry as we know it. It's triumphal in the most hollow sense of the word. It's triumphal because as Jesus has ministered and has tried to teach. Well, he's very successfully taught, but people have tried to listen and learn. As Jesus has done his ministry, he's very aware that a time is coming and when that time should be, that he should be handed over. And his disciples have not wanted him to go up to Jerusalem for Passover. 
And he's been resistant to the idea in some ways, but he knows what he must do. And he decides to go. Well, that will be a fatal choice. For as he attends Passover that night later, as we'll read later this week, he will be arrested and, and tried and crucified. But on this particular Sunday morning, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem through Bethany, which we've been to too. It's just two miles from Jerusalem, but it takes about an hour and 45 minutes to get there because of all the walls they've built between the Arabs and the Jews there in Jerusalem. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one's ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. He did this to fulfill what was written. Your king comes lowly, riding on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey. They went outside and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, just as Jesus said. They untied it. Some people standing there said, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields, the palm branches. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. A kingly procession, but no coronation yet. The coronation would come later. The coronation would come on that Thursday night following. The coronation would come in the form of a crown of thorns driven cruelly into his scalp. And he would have a sign placed above him. King of the Jews. And he would be beaten and he would be spat upon and he would be flogged and he would be crucified. A just and innocent man. The king of creation speaks and order comes out of chaos. The king of creation speaks and counsels humankind on how to live. They ignore his counsel. And the king of creation speaks and the serpent is cursed and the ground is cursed. And we are driven from the garden. And the king of kings is no longer in face-to-face -face uh, communion with us. And as we're no longer in face-to-face -face communion, the king, he, leading up to this, the king calls out, where are you? And in self-consciousness, we're no longer free to worship. We're concerned with our nakedness. And that's been our story. King of kings, Lord of lords, king of all creation, no longer in control of the world.
The princedom of the world had been given to Adam, and Adam surrendered it to Satan. Satan represents the planet in the heavenly realms. We read this in Job. But Jesus will rest it back. He will take back earth. He will take back the princedom, the kingdom. But he'll do it riding on a donkey with a fickle people one day calling Hosanna and the next day calling crucify him. And then there's the king who comes in judgment with his robe dipped in blood. And he's mighty. And he's unapologetic. And he's strong. And he carries with him the wrath of God. And this is not a wrath of cruel vengeance. It is not a wrath of unholiness. It is a wrath of righteous judgment and true judgment. A wrath that finally and forever banishes the one who wrested the princedom of earth from Adam in the first place. It settles the choices that all of us have made and ushers in a new era, in a new Jerusalem, and a new song that will sing, Hosanna, still the words, glory to God, for now he reigns. It's a package deal. We don't get to just accept the lowly Jesus riding on a colt. We must accept the Jesus who spoke and made order. And we must accept the Jesus who restores that order as he comes as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in glory and majesty. I want to be there. I want to see these, this city and its gates. I want to go in and out of them freely is a citizen. I want to sing this song of Hosanna and Alleluia. I don't want to be one of those who cry crucify him. Though I have been. And so have you. I want my fickleness to end. And my loyalties to be with the creator, the redeemer and the reigning king. And I want all of us to share in the party forever. Today we celebrate the entrance of a king, but in a few short days, we'll be reflecting on the cry to crucify him. We'll be reflecting on how we sleep when he says, pray with me. We'll be reflecting on our bravado as we seek to slice the ear off of some other offender while setting ourselves up for denial in the morning. We'll learn a lot about ourselves and our salvation this week and we'll remember the truth that the salvation comes from the king who sings over you, who rejoices over you, 
who brings you salvation in every way and who's loved you from the foundation of the world. And so, dear Lord, we celebrate your coming and the freedom that we inherited in this. And we celebrate the coming yet to be in the final and full installment of the freedom to praise you in eternity. These things we thank you for and praise you for this day. Amen.